Welcome to the Brilliantly Resilient Podcast. What's your train wreck? Everyone has one. The question is, are you going to live there or are you just visiting? Let's check in with Mary Fran and Kristen to learn how to come through not broken, but brilliant. episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. And before we jump into the really cool stuff that we're going to bring you today, we have a super important message for you. Did you hear that Brilliantly Resilient, the book is out in the world and it landed on the top 100 bestsellers list. That's where it debuted. We're so excited. Go get it at amazon.com. Search Brilliantly Resilient and you'll see it in Kindle and paperback. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Brilliantly Resilient Live. I'm Kristen Smedley here with my buddy, Mary Fran Bontempo, and we are bringing you today such a fun and fabulous guest. You're not even going to believe all the stories. I've been so excited since I met her on Podmatch, my (laughs) new favorite place to land and play around with, all cool people on there. But let me tell you this about about our, our new buddy, Jessica Cox. So I'm going to read right from her website, which do not go there yet until this interview is over. I know you're going to be tempted to go afterwards because you got to see all the stuff that Jessica does. But here's one of my most favorite sentences right on her homepage of her website. Jessica believes in a future where people passionately pursue their dreams with the resilience to overcome any challenge. Do you see why she's going to be one of our good friends here at Brilliant Resilient? And I want you to just kind of hold on to your hat to the challenges that Jessica has faced and where she is now. And I cannot wait to dive into this. Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today. Glad to be on. Thank you for having me. You got it. So, okay. I'm trying to even figure out where we begin with us. Let's, let's, I love to do this. Let's begin with what you are doing right now. And then we'll bring guests along for the ride of of your journey. So tell everybody what it is that you're up to now in the world. I have been now for 15 years, uh, a motivational speaker. I wake up to a new city if it's during pre-pandemic. And uh, I would travel to different places to share my story, to, to help people achieve their own impossible and to help them change the perspective of how they see their own challenges. I love it. I love it. Okay, so wait. So let's give away a little bit of your story. You said you're flying all over to all these different cities. You're a pilot, right? Are yes. you flying uh-huh. yourself or are you, are you just in the lap of luxury on a plane letting someone else? <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to my speaking engagements, I typically am flying commercial. Um, and I do fly on occasion myself for more of the relaxed events, because what, what, when you're flying general aviation, which is the small airplanes, it, there's not, there is a, there are a lot of factors that come into play that, that, that become challenging, like weather and all these tor- sort of challenges that, hmm. that flying commercially can overcome. But flying in a small plane is of course the enjoyable way to um, go out on a Saturday or Sunday and do it for the fun and the hobby of flying. Well, that is wonderful that you have that hobby because that sounds terrifying to me. <laughs> I know, Kristen. Kristen, up. Kristen, like, 
other's faces by this point. And I know she's looking at me going, oh, I could see you on a little plane. No, probably not. But <laughs> here's what I want to get into. We always talk, you know, we always talk about the, the reset, the rise and the reveal. Uh, people have to know why it is so extraordinary that you are a pilot. Um, and it has to do with what your sucker punch and your train wreck is, was, whatever. I'm going to say was because it's kind of in the past. You've, you've overcome the whole thing. But you have to share with our audience what that sucker punch was for you. For me, it was being born without arms and having the odds stacked against me from the onset. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you, are you listening, people? I don't <laughs> want to hear any complaints from anybody, at least all week. It's so intriguing. Tell us more. Tell us more. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to really thank and bring up the fact that my parents were phenomenal teachers, uh, my first teachers in life, who set me up with a foundation that I could do anything I mean, it was very difficult at the beginning because my parents had no idea, no indication that I was going to be born without both my arms. I had an older brother and he had uh, no physical disabilities. And so when I came out as a second child, the first daughter, and the one my mom was really excited about because she always wanted a daughter, there, there was really no expectation that I was going to be born without the, the two things that most people require to live a normal life. And um, for them, it was an absolute shock. My, the doctors in the operating room, my mom had a C-section and everything was just normal other, other than the fact that I came out and to the surprise of not only my parents, but the doctors, the nurses, and everyone in the operating room, I didn't have what most babies do have. And it was a, a very difficult time where my mom felt guilt and felt devastated about what kind of future would be in store for someone without arms. How would I be able to hold my bottle or hold a, a baby doll and do all the things or hold hands or give hugs and all those things that would race through her brain as she, you know, I was coming to terms with the reality that I didn't have arms and that I was going to have to live my life in a very different way than most people. Um, and for her, it took some time to heal. It took some time to, to get over the depression and uh, the grief and the loss that she had to deal with. Um, and for both my parents, I think they made a very important decision that they were going to move forward and be the best parents that they could be for me. Um, and it, it started me off on the right foot, so to speak, because <laughs> hence the name right footed on my website, uh, right footed is, is, um, the way I live my life through my feet and they became, they began to help me adapt to what it is that I did have. And that was my legs and my feet and, and a really, um, great attitude. Um, and so they helped instill that into me, um, early on that we were going to get through this as a family, one challenge at a time. Well, I, I love that. First of all, I am like a soul sister to your mom, because with my two boys being born blind, I also had no idea that that was coming, had no idea what to do with that. And, and I love that you acknowledge and that your, your parents have, have educated you on their journey for you to acknowledge that there was a period of grief and loss and upsetment. They didn't just go, Okay, we got this because, you know, it is, it is a journey 
through grief and loss, but you also said that they taught you, this is my favorite thing. They taught you to focus on what you do have. And I think that that is something that we need to land on more in our talk of, of, in our process of being brilliantly resilient, because we do all tend to, I guess, as humans, look at the loss for so long, you know, and, and I always say, look at, look at this, this sucker punch as an opportunity to do something else or to move forward in a unique way. But if you also bring with you all the things that you do have, as opposed to what you don't, I think that that's going to really help people move forward faster. I agree. It's so true. So, so Jessica, Kristen talked about, talks about this because her boys never had sight. You never had arms. So uh-huh. with you, I would assume that as a child, cause children just do, they just do with what they can do. Did, did you almost inform your parents in certain ways? Like by your, just by your behavior, they probably looked at you and thought, well, she's figuring that one out. And, and I mean, did that almost create like a, like a, a partnership unknown to both of you at the time that you were going to be able to figure it out and they just kind of had to help you get the pieces in place to do that? Yes, surprisingly, they began to really realize the ability that I had to adapt to my feet and my legs that I did have. I mean, from the earliest point where um, my mom would hand me toys in in the crib and I'd grab a hold of them between my two toes and just grab a hold of uh, utensils when I'm learning to eat or picked up a piece of food. I remember one of the things that I did as a like three-year-old or four-year-old is I used to do this thing where we, my dad would have these ballpoint pens and I'd grab a hold of the ballpoint pens and unscrew them and take them apart and then put them back together. And we just thought if she could handle a ballpoint pen, then I guess she's going to be just fine adapting to functioning with, with her feet. Oh my gosh. That is too funny. I can't, I can't even get over that. Yeah. So wait, so, okay. So let's go from, from your parents have no idea. They, they never, you know, probably even met somebody without arms to you working on ballpoint pens to becoming a pilot. Tell me the thought process and the life experience. Did you all see my, I'm so intrigued by this because my oldest son from the time he was about four or five has wanted to be a pilot and everyone's like, be a blind pilot. And he's like, Oh, I'll figure that out. (laughs) great were you always wanting to fly is it something that came up later yes and and the things that I wanted to do the the physical aspect of doing them with your feet that was challenging um and from the beginning I had that almost mental approach to how to do things I think for me some of the even greater challenges that people were not probably not focusing in on when they hear my story is, is the fact uh, that I had to emotionally uh, battle the challenge of being different Mm. and that challenge of standing out in a public school in a small town and in a community that everyone else had their arms and hands and really coming to terms with that, that was a, a, a more difficult journey than flying a plane with my feet. And learning how to, to do that because the physical aspect of using my feet came naturally. It came with adaptation. It came with doing 
things that took a little bit longer for me, but figuring it out and developing the fine tune, um, basically the dexterity in my toes to do those things that people do between their fingers and their hands. Um, but some of the more difficult things was how did I deal with being out in a public setting, like a public restaurant and having all this attention on me when I grabbed a fork between my toes yeah. and, and not, not always positive attention, I should say, um, and learning how to be confident in that challenge of standing out. Um, but to answer your question about flying a plane, you know, it's, it was first driving a car with my feet and then it was then figuring out how to fly a plane, what plane would work and how to work through the challenges of the Federal Aviation Administration, how would they feel? Is it, is it going to be a safety concern for not only me in the sky, but people on the ground? Mm. And um, all those different logistics and, and challenges that we had to tackle one step at a time and um, just really being persistent and bringing out that resilience because it took three years of uh, trial and error, three years and three different airplanes, three different flight instructors and numerous hours of training to finally physically fly a plane with my feet and prove that it is a safe thing to do and that I can be certified as a sport pilot to fly a plane. Wow. Wow. You know, I, I, I listen to everything that you're saying. And one of the things that Kristen and I talk about all the time is that people think that big challenges require a big solution. And what you're saying is exactly what we say. It's, it's not, you don't get to suddenly flip a switch and everything's fine. You have to take those individual steps every single day, every single moment. It's what you can do in that moment to move you towards your goal. But very often it's, it's, these minor, like sort of minor adjustments that you have to make constantly along the way. And that I'm sure becomes a mindset. Is that what happened with you? It was just that, just a mindset. Exactly. And it's so funny that you, I mean, you read right into it because I talk to audiences now for 15 years and that's what I teach them is the ability to break down a challenge into multiple steps. Because like the quote, the old quote, which I'm sure both of you've heard this, an elephant can be eaten one bite at a time. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's so important to have that attitude. Yeah. But then there's people like me that this is why this show helps Kristen Smedley every single day, because I am like, finish line, finish line. Like he I want to the whole jump and to unhinge your jaw and eat the whole elephant all at once. <laughs> Like a boa constrictor. Yeah, just want hot sauce on the elephant and let's go. <laughs> and the world doesn't work that way. That's it. But the funny thing is, I mean, I laugh about it, but that's what sends me spiraling back into the victim pit, as opposed to when I do look at it in the, in the brilliantly resilient process with um, exactly what you're saying too, Jessica, one step at a time, like Mary Fran's always saying, what is the one action step that you can take right now. Don't think about the rest of the picture, the one step, then the next step, then the next step. I'm getting better. The, the brilliantly resilient community is right <laughs> work in progress. We're all in progress. So you know what? that actually though brings up a point to that end. 
do you still feel like you're a work in progress with all of this? I mean, I, I, Kristen and I talk about this whole brilliantly resilient thing as a process that you just, you have to do it over and over and over. You don't get brilliantly resilient. Like you don't just wake up someday after doing stuff and hey, I'm brilliantly resilient, it's all good. We have to go back and rework the steps all of the time. Do you find yourself doing that same thing? I do. And I constantly am growing. I mean, there's never an end to growth. So I'm always working on something new, stretching myself in ways as I encourage so many people do to do because with each new achievement um, br brings about a new level of confidence. And uh, uh, also you learn something from each new achievement and that builds on itself. So everything builds on, you know, each challenge build, each uh, achievement builds on another. And, and then you, you, you become better because of those obstacles that you set yourself up with and you're willing to tackle. Yeah. So, so did you find, did you find that, that, that the achievements were, were not always obvious to other people? Were some of the achievements just things that you were like, okay, I, I'm not going to worry about that anymore. Like when you talked about the perception of others, was there a point at which you thought, I can't let this, I mean, obviously it would take a while. It would take, you know, just physical growth to be a certain age because kids process things differently. But was there a point at which you thought, if I'm going to get anywhere, I have to put that in a box. I have to put other people's perceptions in a box and not let that in my head. It was definitely a long time before I could finally come to terms with my difference and the fact that no matter what I did, the world is going to act in a certain way. But what I could do was what was in my power. And that was just to be the best version of myself. And not everyone is going to respond to me positively, but it wasn't my job to convince them um, to do that. My job was just to be the best version of myself. And one of those things that I did in my life was at the age of 14, after wearing prosthetic limbs for 11 years, every single day I'd wear these prosthetic limbs to school. And I was fulfilling an expectation that was going to be very difficult to fulfill because just to, to inform all of you, using prosthetics is very difficult for um, someone because of the fact that you don't have the sensation of flesh and bone. So it's actually easier and faster and more efficient for me to use my toes and feet than to have to think through, well, how am, how am I going to open the hand on this prosthetic arm? How am I going to move the elbow up so that I can um, grab a hold of that sheet of paper? Uh, and all of that takes a lot more time and energy and it's exhausting. But I, so it's exhausting to try to fulfill the expectations uh, that the world put on me to have these prosthetics and wear them for 11 years every, every day. And then finally, at the age of 14, I was at an age where my parents felt I could make a decision on my own and make a decision for my life. And I made this decision to leave my prosthetic arms behind. And I walked to school on the first day of eighth grade without them feeling so empowered that I was finally going to be the person God created me to be, that it didn't matter at that point. I knew that people were going to make fun of me and people were going to bully me and pick on me and stare at me. But I was so propelled with this uh, new me mm -hmm. um, that 
I didn't have to worry and it, was, it wasn't as exhausting as fulfilling the Jessica with the prosthetic arms that I, it, I moved forward in life and, and made that decision for myself, which was important to do so that I can move forward and understand that I'm just going to be the best version of myself. I'll be confident out there and I'm going to do the best. I can and some days are harder than others in, in all honesty I'm only human as we all are and some days can be bad days um, but you just do the best you can and you move forward and you figure it out and 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 you it's amazing how that momentum builds on itself wow well you know you're bringing tears to my eyes as a mom of of kids that that have not just the challenge of of blindness and the stuff that that presents sometimes it's really it's the challenge of the world's expectations exactly mm -hmm. what you're saying and the fact that the world is putting these limitations and expectations on my kids that they have no business doing but it just it is it is human nature and what the world does and I wanted to share with you real quick because you you sound so much like my oldest, Michael, who someone said to him one time, um, we're getting so close to cures for blindness. And our family has a nonprofit that works in that realm as well as thriving with blindness. And she said to him, are you so excited? It was right before he went to college. And he said, I'm very grateful for the science, for the dedication to that. He said, but I'm going to go to college the way I was born without sight. He said, because right now sight would slow me down. Oh, wow. I do it my way. And then when I come back, if the world isn't ready for that, then we'll, then I'll, I'll make that choice later. And she was actually, my friend that he said that to was upset and said to me, almost like, a, how could he walk away from a potential option? And I said, as a mom, I was never so proud in my whole mom life because he is so equipped and is so in his own purpose-driven life that he doesn't see a need for anything different. You know, and you're, you're saying the exact same thing, which is also bringing me back to, I want parents to understand out there and to hear this all the way through everything that Jessica is saying that your, your parents clearly raised you in unconditional love. And it has set a foundation for you that you can go out there as a middle schooler and decide that you're just going to be your unique self. And, and still acknowledge the challenges that you're going to in, in, um, embrace, it sounds like what you did, but you still were your own unique self. And that I know from experience comes from a foundation in unconditional love. It sure does. And what a beautiful story that is about your son. That is just absolutely beautiful. You sharing that and hearing that has inspired me this morning. So, um, and I, I just, you know, want to say how important that is for the parents who are listening for that unconditional love and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, it is hard because I, I just want to share, I think when people push something on someone else, whether it's sight, whether it's prosthetic limbs, whether it's uh, whatever it is, uh, you know, there's a lot of advancements in medical, uh, in the medicine, in medical field and, and technologies and such. But it's coming also from an individual's perception of what their life is like. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be reminded that everyone lives through a different lens. And mm -hmm. for someone who's never known what it's like to have arms or someone who's never known what it's like to have sight, this is all we've ever known. And we've somehow managed to, to live our life fully with that and to push 
a perception of what could be better mm. from another's uh, lens and another person's life is is not is not the right thing to do. And so I think sometimes we have to step back as much as we want that person to have everything. Mm-hmm. We have to understand it from that angle. That you know, it's so profound everything that you're saying because we tend to think that everything we want other people to have is a gift to them. And that's not always the case because when you've been able to live your your life as you have and as Michael and Mitchell have, it, it, and, and it doesn't mean that, that there wouldn't be benefits. It's not that, but it's our perception of what a gift is. And, and that goes across the board. I mean, we're talking about big things here in terms of, of, of physical, what some people would call challenges, but physical differences, let's just say. But, you know, in terms of everything, one of my favorite um, writers is Anne Lamott. And one of the things that she says is stop getting your messy help all over everybody. (laughs) It's one of my favorite quotes because we often think that, oh, well, I'm going to go in and fix this for somebody. Well, maybe they don't need you to fix it for them. And you've lived Mm -hmm. your life that way. And that is such an example to the rest of us. Like, fix yourself. Don't be worried about everybody else. (laughs) that's true so I mean that that's it just sounds to me like by your very nature did you did you see at some point a change in the way that kids and I'm going back to your being so brave to go into eighth grade without your prosthetic limbs did you see a change at some point in kids almost I would hope admiring that choice I love that because it's so funny how much of my life I spent wanting the world to stop staring at me uh, during those early years, wanting the world not to single me out or make me feel ostracized or isolated and like I'm different and remind me of my difference. Mm -hmm. But when I made that switch, which of course didn't just happen with that first step of leaving the prosthetic arms behind, but it was a daily thing that still happens today. But when I make that switch of, of really sending out this positive vibe that I am who I am and I have a smile on my face and I can emit joy and, and gratitude, it is amazing how that transformed the way that people reacted to me mm-hmm. more than anything else. It almost made it so that people reacted to me in a way that I wanted them to react to me in a positive way, in a not a pity way that that they did previously when I was younger they really in a in not a victim way and it almost like I almost demanded from my the way that I carry myself the way and I wish I wanted the world to respond to my difference to see it as a positive thing to see it as an example to others of what's possible in their own life that they can achieve their own impossible that they can be grateful and those type of things I didn't know was going to happen until I made that decision to move forward in life with uh, um, acceptance, unconditional acceptance and love of myself. Wow. You know what? Wow. This is going to sound really weird. And, and Kristen, I know you have Shocking. something. something. <laughs> You'll say something weird. I know you have something to add here, but I can say this because I, I absolutely adore Michael and, and Mitchell. And now having met you, 
as a person who doesn't have those conditions and, and doesn't live near or with anybody with those conditions, I can say that being able to not even think about, I don't think about Michael and Mitchell's blindness when I'm, when I'm with them. I don't think about it. They don't think about it, which this is going to sound weird, which allows me to not think about it. And, and when you embrace yourself fully, I, I don't have to think about it because you're good. You know, like there's a, there's a perception. I think again, this whole idea of getting your messy help over people, all over people that, that you have to do something about it. You know, if, if that's not your, the way you live your life, that maybe you, maybe I have to help them. Maybe I have to do something. I don't got to do nothing for you guys. You're good. I can just be your friend and we can just have interactions. And honestly, that is a beautiful way to look at it. I don't look at Mitchell and Michael as blind. I don't, I don't know you until today, but I don't look as, at you at somebody, as somebody who has, you know, doesn't have arms because you don't think of yourself that way. You just live. Mm-hmm. And that's empowering for everybody, not just you, I think. I think it's so true because we all have our own form of prosthetic arms or whatever it is that we feel like we have to um, meet the expectations of the world. Um, And, but if we carry ourselves in a way of that confidence and that love, it commands um, others to do the same. And I think that's so true. Thank you for pointing that out. Well, and I think thank you for letting me not have to help you. (laughs) <laughs> I got enough of my own problems. <laughs> I think that, that also what you're describing here is what I want people, I want it to land with people very well, that this essentially is the law of attraction. What you are putting into the world is what you are getting back. And I know at firsthand experience, as you're talking about everyone staring at you, you don't want them to stare at you. I went through the same thing. I couldn't stand being in public with the boys with their white canes. Cause I felt like they were all looking at me with the pity that I can't stand. However, mm-hmm. years later, when I finally started, I started getting out in the world and teaching other mentoring, other families of how I had the successes I had with my boys. And that, that was the switch. So I started gaining that confidence. These are all the benefits that my life and my boys have had because of this. And all of a sudden the pity looks disappeared, but they were probably still there. I just didn't see them anymore. I was Mm -hmm. attracting all the positive people. And you know what happened to my daughter is sighted and she's the youngest. And the same thing happened for her so much. She's hilarious. And she'll, when we're all, when the four of us are together somewhere new, it used to drive me crazy that everybody would stare. And now she'll go, she'll look around and she'll go, Oh boys, They've never seen the canes before. Let's go, you know, get the canes or we have to get somewhere really fast, like an airport. She's like, canes out. Here we go. Cause they like part the seas. Everybody jumps out of the way. <laughs> she totally uses it to her advantage now. It's just, but you're right when that, when you flip that switch and how you're seeing yourself and put yourself out there in the world a new way, that's what you get back. Yes. That's so true. I love it. And it's, that's such a beautiful example. I hope to run into your family someday at the airport. <laughs> Well, you behind us because we clear the path. If they don't have their canes out, you might run into them. That's entirely possible. (laughs) You tend to fly all the time when the world is open. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. 
So Jessica, this is, I mean, we could probably talk to you for hours, but um, let, let people know where they can find you because you're clearly your, your message and just your, your persona and the joy that you approach life with is something that everybody needs more of. So where can we find you? Where can our people reach out to you? You can find me on jessicacox.com or you can go to Amazon and my book is called Disarm Your Limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now on Amazon Prime, if you happen to have that, you can watch Right Footed for free. Um, and it's uh, the documentary about my life that was done in 2000, let's see, 15 and 2016. Oh, cool. So I hope you can oh enjoy that as well. Oh my yeah. gosh, I had no idea. So how, how was that filming a documentary about your life? Oh my gosh, what was that like? Well, I'll say the first time you see yourself on a big screen, it is kind of bizarre and disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what did they do? Did they just follow you around and, and like document a day, uh, days of your, your life? Did they go? I mean, I'm sure they went back to the beginning in some way with, with either recreations or whatever. How did that work? They did. They recreated my childhood and we went back to my hometown where I grew up and then they followed me. Um, It was right around the time, right before I was getting married. So they followed um, me and they did an interview, of course, the story of my husband and how we met and then our wedding day, which was, uh, they were very nice about keeping kind of more discreet, you know, they were kind of in the background not uh, not not being too much of a distraction during the important day so they were um, there so they on were, your wedding day they were there they were yes oh, so cool <laughs> so it was it was it was awesome to have them come around and then we went to Ethiopia to help with uh children with disabilities and then to the Philippines where my roots are from um wow. to help during the super typhoon so we were doing a lot of this inspirational work and they were following us throughout the three countries, Ethiopia, the Philippines, and then of course, all over the United States and, and, and in Washington, DC, where I was helping lobby for an international disability treaty. And uh, they followed through the, they followed me and as well as my husband through the halls of the Senate. And it's a very, it's wonderfully done by Nicholas Spark. He did a wonderful job on the documentary. So I, I you know, if anyone would like to watch that, it is available for free called Right Footed. Oh my gosh, we're definitely sharing that with our community. That's my that's my viewing tonight. That's awesome. And awesome. it's available where? Where is it available on Prime? Amazon Prime. Prime. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. Amazing. Awesome. This has been so much fun. I can't wait to go check that out. Okay, now everybody can go and check out Jennifer. I want <laughs> you all to hear this first, and now go see her. Go and let us know after you watch the Prime special what you thought about it. And what, you know, we're going to have to have, like, maybe we'll do a, uh, in a, in a few months after this airs, we'll have you back on. And then we'll have our, our fans of the show come on that have watched the documentary. And we'll talk about all the different things with it. Cause it sounds like it's going to be really um, entertaining to watch. I'm just so happy that we got to connect and uh, to know more about your journey and to, and to now, I'm sorry, you're stuck with us as friends. We are going <laughs> to, we're going to keep connecting with you. <laughs> That'd be wonderful. This is great. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Awesome. All right, everybody. Now you can go check out Jennifer Cox on all her website her, and on Amazon. And her name's Jessica. Jessica. Jessica I'm sorry. <laughs> my dog, I don't know if you could see my dog coming through. He keeps, she keeps walking back and forth over my feet. <laughs> like my brain needs any more high voltage. No. 
happening. And <laughs> no worries. I get called that all the time, even by family members. So no problem. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for joining us. And everybody can go to brilliantlyresilient.net, the brand spanking new website with every resource that we have created in the past year leading up to this first birthday is there for you. And it's bright and shiny now. Go there, especially to get our freebie that's right on the homepage, five steps to jumpstart your brilliantly resilient journey, brilliantlyresilient.net. And we will see you all again next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Brilliantly Resilient podcast. Join our Facebook group and follow us on YouTube to be inspired with tools to reset, rise, and reveal your brilliance.